Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. And welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. You can find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 233 of Sorta Awesome. And I just mentioned our Instagram. You guys, if you have not joined us on Instagram, we would love to have you come over there and join us. I mention this every week, but we do have an Awesome of the Week thread. For our awesomes who are just on Instagram, we want to know what's awesome in your life. We share about the show. We share behind the scenes stuff, especially in stories. We talk about, well, we share lots of funny memes, things that are totally hashtag relatable. So if you haven't found us on Instagram, really, we really would super love to have you. You can find us over there at Sorta Awesome Show. All right. Well, like I said, this is episode 233. I'm so excited this week to welcome back to Sorta Awesome, Sorta Awesome regular, my dear friend and also sister, Emily Harris. Emily, hello and welcome back to Sorta Awesome. Hello and thank you. So today, Emily and I are doing volume three in a little series that we sort of have created. Are you sure? Okay. It is. Yes. Emily was looking a little skeptical, but this is the third time. Okay. That we've done something bad happened on Sort of Awesome. Yeah. The whole premise of something bad happened. If you are new to Sort of Awesome, if you have not listened to our other two something bad happened episodes, this came about because Emily is a very passionate, very informed, very educated, true crime aficionado, right? Yes, I am. It's like one of my hobbies. It is. It definitely is. So Emily will often be telling me stories. Here's the thing. I'm a highly sensitive person. Yes, <laughs> okay? And one of my biggest, biggest sensitivities is I cannot deal with violence, really. And so there's a ton of material out there that's true crime that's either podcasts or documentaries, whatever, movies. And Emily's like my filter system. She will preview something for me. Right. And sometimes she's like, yeah, it's a green light for you. You can go ahead. It's not going to upset you. Sometimes Emily's like, you may not push play on this at all. I will give you the highlights of what happened. You are not allowed to listen to it. So eventually she'd be telling me stories and we'd come to, you know, sort of like the big point in the story. And she'd be like, and then something bad happened. (laughs) And I can't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Or she'd just like gloss over it and she'd be like, someone was murdered. But the important thing to know is. (laughs) It's very true. Anyway, I do have to say, so we created something bad happened because it's like a sort of highly sensitive person's ability to hear some of the, you know, stories from the true crime world without getting too upset. Now, I do have to say after our last one that we got a little bit of feedback from people like this was a little intense for highly sensitive people. Oh, really? I think my story, especially because there was maybe some gruesome parts. There's definitely a dead body involved. Right. And the circumstances surrounding it were a little bit gory. And so some people were like, eh, this is maybe not super great for highly sensitive people or people in general. So this time, Emily and I definitely, well, a lot of these that we've picked, and Emily's really good at finding these, I feel like, have to do more with like mysterious disappearances, missing people, just like stories with a big question mark at the end. So I want all of you who are listening to know 
whether you're highly sensitive or not, there's not any dead bodies involved. Yes. It's just missing people. Yes. Just some missing people. Emily, I'm so excited about my story. It has a twist at the end that I'm really excited to talk about. So we are going to get to our stories where there's a little something bad that happens. We're going to be telling those stories here in just a few minutes. But first, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. It's that moment in the show where we like to talk about whatever is making life a little bit more awesome, whether it's a book or a TV show, maybe a movie or a podcast, a product, something that's making life a little bit, you know, a little bit more comforting and sparkly and special right now. So Emily, what do you have for Awesome of the Week this week? Okay, so my Awesome of the Week this week is a book that has been popular for probably, I don't know, what, like a year, 18 months, something. And it's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Oh, yes. I've not read this, but I have seen lots of buzz about this one. Yes. So I'm kind of late to this party. This book is by Lori Gottlieb. And so the premise of it is that she is a therapist working in L.A., And she also is like the beginning of it sets up a heartbreak, a really bad heartbreak for her. And then she starts to go see a therapist as well. And so she kind of intertwines the stories, you know, between her patients and then her life. And it's just really, really well done. Yeah. So good. So good. I mean, I think that being able to talk about going to therapy, going to counseling, getting help, getting support with our issues. I have seen such a shift in our culture over that topic, you know, really in the past five to definitely to 10 years, it used to be something that you're just kind of kept on the down low, but now people openly talk about, you know, I shared this with my therapist or my therapist said this or whatever. So that's a good one then. It is. It's very good. Okay. Well, I definitely need to pick that up. It has been on my to-read list for a long time. I just never have picked up a copy of it. So I'm glad to get a good recommendation on it from you. Yes. So we will put a link in the show notes on that for sure. My Awesome of the Week this week is something that you could slip into at the end of a long day and curl up with a book. Okay. It's a pair of pajamas for me. (laughs) Yay. No, I've talked so many times on the show about how I love, love, love pajamas for kids, getting kids, especially babies and toddlers into their little cotton PJs at the end of the day. I just love it. It's one of my favorite parts of family life. I know that that's a little extreme, but I just super, super, super love pajamas. Well, all too often, Emily, I don't know if you're this way. I find that I don't get like actual pajamas. I'll just sleep in like, a t-shirt, maybe have some pajama pants or some yoga pants or something pretty casual, pretty low key for myself. Yes. But last year, I think for the spring or summer show, maybe it was the summer list show, I shared some really awesome pajamas made from a bamboo material that I found on Amazon that I was loving. And after I got that pair of pajamas, I was like, I think I want a pair of like real pajamas for the winter. Mm -hmm. So I found these at Target. They're from the line Stars Above. I have them in black, which it looks like now they only have them in navy and pink, but both of those are also very beautiful. And it's a two-piece pajama set, and it kind of has that classic vintage look with the piping that goes like around the collar and down the front. It buttons down the front. It has a little fake pocket that also has the white contrast piping. 
I like the look from the 50s or 60s. Yes, exactly. You know, like mid-century from the 1900s, mid-century, that, like you said, that sort of vintage classic pajama look. Right. The difference being a lot of those time back in those days, those materials were like 100% cotton, which is wonderful to sleep in, natural materials, but of course it can get a little wrinkly. Right. This one is made from a modal and spandex blend. Did you say modal or modal? I don't know. I don't know. It's that really super like soft material that has just like a little bit of give to it. It really hangs on you really nicely. And I just, I don't know. I just super love it. I find myself like really looking forward to when those are clean, like, oh my gosh, I'm reaching for them first to put on at the end of the day. They are so soft. And they're not hot? No, not at all. They're so breathable. And I tend to be a really hot sleeper, especially in the winter when we've got the heater running. But no, not at all too hot. Very breathable, very just soft. It feels like a little bit of luxury when you're putting them on. I am totally hit and miss when it comes to clothes from Target. Some are great. Some I'm like, I wish I wouldn't have spent my money on that. But this is definitely a win. It's like, I think it's listed at like $29.99. It has a ton of good reviews on the actual Target site. So anyway, it's the, they call it the notch collar pajama set from stars above. And And is it long sleeved? It's long sleeved, long sleeved, and then long pajama pants. This is interesting because you've never been able to sleep in long sleeves and I'm the same way. I know, but this one I'm giving a big thumbs up to because normally it does. It's like a sensory thing. I can't handle the sleeves, but this one, totally fine. The set is. I give them a try. Well, good. Totally. Well, I'll put a link in the show notes to that at Target. Again, we'll most likely be able to find them. It is, you know, we're into February. They're going to be starting to clear out their winter stock. So, hey, maybe you can even catch them on clearance before they're gone. Right. So those are our awesomes of the week this week. Like I said, we'll put links in show notes. Of course, we want to hear what is awesome in your life right now. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, come on over to Instagram and find us over there at Sort of Awesome Show, where we'll have an awesome of the week thread every Friday. And of course, we're always talking about what's awesome in life, especially on Fridays in the Sort of Awesome Hangout group. So if you haven't joined us, come on over to Facebook and join us at facebook.com slash groups slash Sort of Awesome Hangout. All right, Emily, we both have some true crime stories to tell you guys. Again, I assure you that at the end of each of these stories, there is no dead body. It's a question mark. It's a mystery, but they do involve some disappeared people. So Emily, I'm going to let you get us kicked off as the reigning true crime queen here. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I will never be Jillian Pensavoli. Oh my gosh. Even we all just to hope be. to be. Yes. Right. Right. Okay. So have I told you who I'm, I think I told you a couple weeks ago who I chose. Yeah. I'm so excited about this. You told me her name. Okay. You and I both love Reddit and we both especially love the unresolved mysteries subreddit. I have seen her name come up in so many discussions there. I have never taken the time to investigate her story. So when you told me this is who you're telling the story of, I was like, thank goodness, I will finally know this story. Right. So this case is of a missing 17-year-old girl. Her name is Brianna Maitland. And she went missing the night slash next day. So it was March 19th slash 20th of 2004. So taking us back to the early 2000s. Gotcha. Yeah. She didn't even have a cell phone. right. Yes. This was two years after I graduated from college. Yeah. Oh my gosh. 
So oh, this like, is one of those yeah, things where when you ago. say 2004, you're like, okay, that wasn't that long ago. But then when you think about it that way, like two years after you graduated college, right. that was a long time ago. Yes. That was a very long time ago. I'm 41. So yes. This all happened in Montgomery, Vermont, because it's only 900 oh. people. It's a population of 900 people. It's a small town in a small state. Okay. Small town in a small state. And it's so close. It's like 20 miles from the Canadian oh, wow. border. Okay. Yeah. So it's up there. So again, Brianna, she was 17 years old and she actually was not in high school at the time. She was last seen on the 19th. So I'm going to go ahead and say that she went missing on the 19th. Earlier that day, she had actually gone to like a local college to take an exam to get her GED. And then I think her parents later found out that she had passed that exam. After she went and took the test, she went and met her mom for lunch and they went and ate lunch, and then they went like shopping for a little bit. Here's the first weird thing that happened when they went shopping. Just all of a sudden, Brianna started kind of staring out the window with a worried look on her face. Then she went outside. Her mom, Kelly, had finished her purchase and met Brianna outside. Could tell that Brianna was visibly shaken up, and she just seemed really agitated. When her mom, Kelly, asked her, you know, like, what's wrong? Brianna just kind of like tried to blow it off and say, I need to get home because I have to work tonight and I need to get ready for my shift. Brianna had two jobs, kind of. Her main job was at a restaurant called the Black Lantern Inn. That sounds very Vermont. (laughs) I know, doesn't it? Very Northeastern. Yes, yes, exactly. So the Black Lantern Inn, she was a dishwasher there. It's really important to note that she clocked out of this job at the Black Lantern Inn at 11.20 p.m. So I guess first we'll talk about where we see Brianna's car next. So she had driven okay. to work. Yes, she had driven to work. She was seen by her coworkers leaving work. And like whatever system they used to clock out, clocked her out at 11.20 p.m. 11.20 p.m. Okay. The way this story goes is that she had a really old car. Now, remember, this was in 2004. Her car was a 1985 Oldsmobile Royale. So it was like a boat. It was like a tank of a car about 1.3 miles away from her place of employment. The back end of her car was crashed into this old house slash barn Wait, the back end? Like trunk first? The trunk first. Yes. In fact, what the heck? In fact, I am going to send you a picture right now of what her car looked like when it was found, when it was seen by all of these people. There's quite a few pictures of it. The main pictures that people can see are really from three sources, from some skiers that came upon it the next morning, from some police photo, and then also from an independent company that inspected her car after the police did. Oh, weird. Okay. So weird. It really is because, yeah, I mean, it's not super common, but also maybe all of us have seen a car that's crashed into a building in some way, but it's usually the present. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Now, just as a side note, I have heard of people thinking that their car was in drive and it was in reverse. So, you know, that could definitely be the case. I know, you know, one of my best friends, Tiffany, when she was pregnant with her first son, she thought she was pressing on the brake, but she slammed on the accelerator and like went over a hedge of bushes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it happens. Stuff like that happens all the time, but it just, 
the picture of this scene is just so, I don't know if it's because the house looks so old well, yes. and creepy and kind of haunted by itself. Right. Did you say it's a barn? Well, okay. So it's like a barn house. house it, barn. it is. This house is not just a regular house. So the, the name of this house is called the Old Dutchburn Place. It was the site of two murders several years before. Oh, yeah. And it had been boarded up and abandoned. Oh, gosh. Creepy, creepy. Very creepy. Like I said, some skiers came upon her. Well, actually, several people saw her car sometime during the night. Like, I think the first people that saw it, it was like around 1230 a.m. Like, you know, just a little over an hour after she had left work. And then throughout the rest of that early morning hours, people had seen it. A state police officer drove by and he saw it and stopped, looked in it, didn't really think very much of it. Now, remember, this is a 1985 car. So thankfully that all the doors were unlocked, but there were no keys found when he opened the doors and looked in. Really, the only things that he found were like a lot of litter, a lot of trash. He found a necklace on the ground next to her car. And this is kind of weird. He just took the necklace and threw it back in the car after he found it on the ground, which I think is kind of weird. That doesn't seem... Did he know at the time that there was anything? No, no one. So he didn't know he was walking up on a possible crime scene. scene. Right, right. Some other weird things that were found in the car were like cans of tuna, some trash. Hopefully she didn't have barbecue along with the bottle of barbecue sauce, can of tuna. Nice callback there. Nice callback. Okay. So it has been said by a couple of people that either Brianna was really messy or she was living out of her car. Oh. Okay. So obviously she was never seen again. Like the big tell is the car. We don't even know at this point if like her car crashing into that building was, is that a crime scene or is that just like where her car was found? So it's all crazy. Now, I will say that sometime in the middle of the night, a state police officer, a state trooper, sometime around like one o'clock in the morning, he actually saw the car, like stopped by and checked it out and just like didn't really make a big deal about it. He looked at it and like, you know, didn't really just take it seriously, I guess. So he was just like out on patrol or just like driving around. What I'm saying is nobody called law enforcement to like report. There's a weird thing out here yes, on this no road. One called, okay. Yeah, no one called it in. He was driving by. Okay. I will say that he actually took, which is weird that this was in 2004. I don't know how he took pictures of it, but he took a couple pictures of the car as well. Like he found a necklace on the ground outside the car and threw it back in the car. Like he just wasn't really like super concerned about it. I do know that he did have it towed to a garage. But you know, what's really interesting, and I know that police get criticism all the time, but like there's a lot of talk about if the police, if that state trooper and the police officer had it towed, why didn't they run the plates and call the person it was registered to, which is Brianna's mom, and say, hey, we have your car and it's now at this garage. So... Yeah. yeah, that is a huge question mark. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, no one contacted her parents. And so at the time, Brianna was kind of like living with different people. She was kind of couch surfing a little bit. We don't really have like a whole lot of information on like why she wasn't living with her parents. You know, as a 17 year old, there is some speculation, well, more than speculation that she was not just like she smoked marijuana, but she probably did maybe a little bit more than that. 
she had attended two high schools that she eventually dropped out of both. And so that's why she was getting her GED. So she was living with a girl named Jillian. And Jillian was out of town that weekend, but got back home Sunday night, that weekend of the Sunday night. Brianna had written a note to her saying, I'll be back home after work, just very casual. And so when Jillian got home, she saw the note from Brianna. And by this time, it was Sunday night. And she was like, okay, Brianna's not here. And so, you know, she really didn't think, again, she didn't think a whole lot about it because Brianna was just kind of floating around to different friends' houses and stuff. Right. So it may not have been that unusual for her to not see her for a few days. Yeah. Yeah. So she ended up calling her mom on the 23rd, which is a Tuesday, and asked for Brianna. And Kelly, her mom was like, Brianna's not here. That's really what alerted her parents that something was wrong. Okay. Just to let you awesomes know, we've been joined by our third co-host here, Nico. He's got a little man cold again. So if you hear some heavy breathing into the microphone, that's just, (laughs) it's okay. Don't freak out. It's not a little piggy. No, and it's not a scary, crazy person stalking you. It's just Nico. Right. Here you go. All right. Keep going. So that was when her parents knew that something was wrong. They went to the police station. They filed an official missing person report. Coincidentally enough, the state trooper that had drove by her car was like literally just like walking by, listening to them. And he was like, oh. I think I saw your daughter's car at what they call, so that house, that creepy old barn looking house that I was telling you about, it was kind of like an old landmark and it was called the old Dutchburn house. The old Dutchburn house. Again, feeling such a Northeastern mood. I've never been to the Northeast, but I feel like this is such a mood that there's this old barn and it's called old Dutchburn. Yes. Old Dutchburn. Right. And so he showed her pictures. He showed her parents' pictures. And they were like, yeah, that's her car. And he was like, well, you know, we had it towed to a garage. Brianna's dad, Bruce, went to the garage. And, you know, they opened the trunk and looked in the back and stuff. And there was a lot of litter in the car, a lot of fast food trash, cans of tuna, some other random things. But it didn't really look like, you know, anything bad had happened. I will say that no keys from her car have ever been found to this day. So interesting. Okay. In addition to like the skippers that saw her car that morning and the police officer, there were a couple other witnesses, including her ex-boyfriend who saw the car around 4 a.m. He was in Canada the night before and he was driving home and he was not sober. When he saw her car, he saw it like pointed towards the road with the lights on. Oh, what? Yeah. And he didn't stop. He also didn't call it in because he didn't want to have to talk to police because he wasn't sober and he didn't want to get in trouble. Right. Drinking and driving. But like he for sure knew it was her car and he just kept driving. Yeah. He knew it was her car and just kind of kept on driving and went home. And then another driver who has not been named noticed that when they drove by the car, noticed that either one blinker was on or her hazard lights were on. Oh, wow. Okay. And do we know what time this was or just in the middle of the night? Yeah, I think it was sometime in the middle of the night. Yeah. Okay. Here's the deal. About three weeks before Brianna went missing, she got into an altercation with another girl at a party. Everyone was drinking. And I guess Brianna, so this girl's name is Keely Lacrosse. She thought that Brianna was flirting with her boyfriend and, you know, like tried to fight her. 
And Brianna just walked away. She actually went into someone's truck, like at the party, like just left, you know, said, I'm not going to fight you and went outside and sat in someone's truck. Well, hours later, this girl, Keely, is still mad. And she goes out to the truck and says, you're going to fight me. I'm going to fight you. And Brianna was like, no, I'm not going to fight you. And so Keely ends up punching her in the face, giving her two black eyes, breaking her nose. And it's important to point out that Brianna was very, very well-trained in jujitsu. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, made the conscious decision to like not participate, not be combative with this girl. So I will say that this girl, Keely Lacrosse, I think she was a person of interest. Now, I will tell you, I'm not sure if you know this, Megan, but you know, Tim and Lance, they do the Maura Murray, Missing Maura Murray yes. podcast. Yes. Well, they also have, you know, their other podcast called Crawl Space. Oh, no, I've never listened to that. So Crawl Space was the very first episodes and maybe the whole series is about this. Like the whole first, I don't know, four or five episodes of Crawl Space is about Brianna Maitland. Oh, okay. And they either talk to Bruce Maitland, which is Brianna's dad, or they talk to Greg Overacker, who is the PI that the family hired. One of them, I can't remember which one, they said, you know, Keely was never like officially cleared, but they just didn't feel like she was like a good suspect, I guess. Oh, okay. All right. Now, I mentioned earlier that Brianna had been, you know, like experimenting with marijuana and then it kind of came out later. I guess it was just kind of a known thing that she had maybe been doing harder drugs than marijuana. There was, you know, in this little community in Vermont, there was a pretty big drug problem. And it was two guys actually from New York that had brought this, like they were like the dealers of the town, I guess. Yeah. And they brought crack and cocaine and heroin in. And so... These two guys kind of just brought some bad stuff in, you know, with drugs comes crime and all those oh, other yes, bad things. Of course. And so it is suspected that Brianna was either somehow involved or with one of the guys, not necessarily romantically, but there are so many theories. Like there's this one speculation that Brianna fronted one of the guys a couple thousand dollars to buy drugs, but then he didn't get her any and he killed her. Like there's all these kinds of stories about what happened to her. There's really not like a whole lot of information. The reason why there is so much talk about this is because there's not just like one suspect. There's like anywhere from 10 to 15 people that could have, you know, done something oh, to her. Wow. Right. And so a lot That's of talk. Insane. Yes. A lot of talk about this case is just like going through the people and going through the theories. And so after the police processed her car, a separate process, like an independent processing company called MJA, they actually processed her car and they found some things that the police missed. So they found slight traces of vomit in her car, a light blue syringe cap, an unknown green fibers. Interesting. Now, I will tell you this, what the police found in the car, and I don't know how the police missed those three things that I just said. Yeah, especially like a syringe cap. Yeah. Hello. So the police found the syringe that matched the syringe cap, zip ties, and then a pair of Victoria's Secret underwear 
that was in like the style and size that she would have worn at the time. Having watched the show Intervention many times, do you know what zip ties are for? <laughs> tying your arm. It's it like grosses me out so much because I hate needles, but like tying your arm for shooting up drugs. And then, you know, the pair of underwear, like if you are on drugs that you're shooting up, you'll literally use anything to tie up your arms so that you can find a vein. And so, you know, there's some speculation that maybe she used the underwear, maybe she used the zip ties. Maybe the syringe was what the locals call a hot shot to subdue her so that they could take her or whatever. Like I said, there's so many people that talk about this case, like True Crime Garage, two of my favorite guys, Nick and the captain, they've talked about this. Tim and Lance have talked about this on Crawl Space. I mean, there's YouTube videos, there's Reddit rabbit holes. There's just so much information about this. And it's not necessarily like a whole lot of evidence, but it's a lot of like speculation and, you know, how was this person related to her disappearance? And so, and you know, what's weird is that like, so the police have come out and said in the past, I don't know, 16 years that when they polygraphed a lot of people, they had one person who showed deception in the polygraph, but they're not stating who it is because it's still an open investigation. Open investigation. Exactly. One last question. I have seen mention on Reddit that maybe there have been sightings of her. Yeah, actually, there have been sightings of her. Or what looked like her, obviously. They don't know for sure, but. Right. And like, honestly, now I am not an expert at this stuff, but I will tell you that in every popular missing person case, there's always sightings of people. Okay. okay. Unfortunately. And her parents, Bruce and Kelly, do not believe that Brianna is still alive. Okay. Gotcha. We know something bad happened. But we don't we do. Why. Yes. Okay. Well, Emily's right. This is a very, very popular true crime case, probably because there are just so many possibilities and so few answers. So yeah, if you are up for a good rabbit trail to follow, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Well, my case that I'm obsessed with myself, and I think, you know, in certain circles of true crime discussion, it's popular, although it's I don't think it's ever received national attention. And it does have a little twist at the end. So my sources on putting the story together were from the podcasts, and that's why we drink. They did a segment on it. Sinisterhood is a true crime comedy girlfriend chat podcast. They did one on this case, and also Crime Junkie. Is that the one that Ashley yeah. hosted? Mm-hmm. Okay. Ashley Flowers, yes. yes. Okay, this is the case of Bryce Lapisa. So mine's a little bit more recent. This takes place in August of 2013 is when he goes missing. Bryce was 19 and a sophomore at Sierra College, which is in Rockland, California, which is north of Sacramento. So we're talking Northern California area. He is the only child of a couple named Karen and Mike LaPisa. Bryce actually grew up with his parents, living with his parents in Chicago. But after he graduated from high school, his parents kind of like retired, I guess, or whatever. They just left Chicago and moved to Orange County, down to Southern California. So Bryce starts going to college at Sierra College. He meets a girl named Kim his freshman year. They start dating. They seem very happy. They seem, you know, like they're really kicking off college with a good start. Seem to be adjusting to life in California really well. Bryce was really well liked. He was known for being really friendly. So yeah, so he goes through his whole freshman year at Sierra College. He goes home and spends the summer with his parents down in Orange County. 
And then he goes back up north to Rockland to start his sophomore year. So two weeks after school starts, Bryce starts acting really strange, totally out of character for himself. And again, it's not like he's new at school. He has had a whole school year here. He's really close with his girlfriend, Kim. He has a roommate named Sean, and they're very, very good friends. But Bryce starts acting so strangely and so out of character that Sean actually calls Bryce's mom, Karen, and is like, Bryce is being really weird, and I don't know what's going on. Now, Emily, you and I went to college together. We were in a sorority together. We've seen people make some choices during college. But have you ever had a friend start acting so strangely, especially when you're in college, that you're like, something's going on and I'm scared. I'm calling her mom. Well, I haven't called the mom, but I've had a mom call me. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, you know, the circumstances were pretty serious. So, you know, it was warranted at the time. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking for, you know, a sophomore in college, a boy who's a sophomore in college to be like, this is not right. I am calling his mother. Like things were pretty weird for him. So, and again, these are college kids. They're engaging in all kinds of risky behavior. And so, you know, Karen's kind of trying to ask him like, well, what's been going on? He was just here all summer. He was totally fine. Sean told Karen, well, we've been playing a lot of video games and we thought it'd be fun if we stayed up all night playing video games. And so Bryce, to be able to stay up all night, started recreationally taking Vyvanse. Now, Vyvanse, I did not know this, but Vyvanse is a medication used to treat ADHD, similar to Adderall. If you do not have ADHD, it has a similar effect on your system to like methamphetamines. Yes, absolutely. It is a methamphetamine. It is a methamphetamine. Okay. Yes. So yeah, not a super cool decision just to be like, I just really want to play these video games all night. So here, I'm going to hit up some Vyvanse. But Sean is concerned enough about what's going on with Bryce that he even, I mean, like he tells Karen that because Sean's thinking maybe that has something to do with it. Now, I don't know anything about Vyvanse, but I looked it up. Some of the side effects of Vyvanse, some of the psychological side effects are anxiety, aggression, hallucinations, mood swings, Mm -hmm. and manic episodes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So right after Sean calls Karen, before Karen really has a chance even to think like, okay, what are we going to do? This is a concerning call from Sean. She actually gets a call from Bryce and he is calling from his girlfriend, Kim's apartment, which is 90 miles north of Rockland. So even further up into Northern California. Well, earlier that day, Bryce texted Kim to say, I think maybe you're better off without me. And she had texted back, are you breaking up with me? And again, they've been together for like the better part of their freshman year. And he texted back, yes. So anyway, he had driven up to Kim's apartment. I don't know the circumstances. I don't know if he was like trying to maybe just get some stuff back or whatever. We're not 100% clear on why he drove up to Kim's apartment. But while he is there, he calls his mom and is talking to his mom. And then Kim takes the phone and says, Bryce is being so strange. I don't think he's safe. So I took his keys. I don't think he should be driving. I do not think he's safe to drive. So Bryce gets back on the phone with his mom. He's like, listen, I just want to go home. She's just upset because I broke up with her, but I'm fine. Well, Karen's a little alarmed at this point. And so she offers to fly up in the morning because it's, you know, from Orange County in Southern California up to north of Sacramento. That's a drive. Long drive. That's a long, yeah. Yeah. So she said, hey, I'll get on a plane in the morning. I can be up there in the morning. 
I will come get you. Let's figure out what's going on. And he says, no, mom, do not make an airline reservation until I talk to you because I have a lot I need to talk to you about. Right. And Karen's like, okay. Dun, dun, dun. Right. So Kim gets back on the phone and Karen is like, I think he sounds fine. He sounds lucid. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Just give him his keys back and he can just head back down to his apartment down in Rockland. So at 1130 that night, Kim gives Bryce his keys and he heads out. Now, his parents thought it was strange because again, he'd been home all summer. He'd been happy, carefree, just living life. No concerns about his behavior at all. So around one o'clock, Bryce calls his mom. I don't know what is exactly said in the conversation, but whatever they talk about in the conversation, Karen goes to bed that night thinking he made it back to his apartment in Rockland, back to his room with Sean and all is well, and they'll talk about it in the morning. What we later find out is through cell phone pings, Mm -hmm. is that he was not, in fact, when he called at one o'clock, he was not in Rockland. He was an hour south of Rockland and seemed to be heading to Hatchapi Mountains for reasons nobody knows. So the next morning at 11 o'clock in the morning, State Farm calls Karen and Mike to say, hey, this is State Farm. We're following up because we got this call for roadside assistance for your Toyota Highlander. And they're like, okay, that's our son Bryce's vehicle. So they're like, what? when did he need roadside assistance? Well, the last we knew he made it back to his apartment. So they start trying to call and he doesn't pick up his cell phone. They call Sean and Sean's like, oh, Bryce didn't come home last night. He hasn't been here. So again, his parents are like, what? What? Okay. Now Bryce has a credit card that it's in his parents' name, but he has the credit card. He can use it. So they log into their credit card account and they see that the most recent charge is from a town called Button Willow. California. So Benton Willow is this tiny little town in the desert. It's mostly just a truck stop. It's not like a community even really. It's just like this tiny little map dot. So it's on further down south. They figured maybe he decided to head all the way back home to Orange County. They find out that, you know how when you call for roadside assistance, State Farm like calls local, like, I don't know what, businesses or vendors or whatever. They're contracted with different companies to help you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's the word I was looking for. So who they had called, State Farm had called this place, this like a little tire shop there in Button Willow. So they can see that he had gotten gas from there. The charge was from that little shop. So they call the shop to be like, have you seen our son? So a man named Christian, who owns a little tire shop, answers. And he's like, oh yeah, around nine o'clock this morning, your son had run out of gas. And so I took three gallons of gas out to him. And so Karen, his mom is like, I know this is a little unusual, but would you mind to go back out to that rest stop where he was and just check and see if maybe he's still there? That's the last place we know that he was. So Christian drives out there and finds Bryce in the exact same spot. They had been sitting three hours ago. Crazy. It's noon now. Yeah. Right? He's just sitting in his car. Oh my goodness. Has been sitting there for three hours. Christian is like, um, your mom's worried about you. Why don't you call home? And so he calls his mom and Karen is like, Bryce, what are you doing? And he's like, nothing. Again, being very strange. Karen's like, well, you're about two or three hours from home right now. Maybe like three hours. Just fill your car up with gas, get something to eat and just drive on home. And we're going to get this all sorted out when you get home. So when Christian leaves him, 
at this rest stop, he is filling up his tank. And so Christian's like, okay, headed back to the shop. So that was around mute. And so his parents expected him to be at their house around three, three o'clock comes and goes three 30. Karen calls him no answer. She keeps calling, keeps calling hours go by hours and this still have not heard from him by that evening. Also, this was like going into Labor Day weekend. So when he first didn't get home, they thought, well, maybe he's just caught in Labor Day traffic. They were trying not to panic. But then when he doesn't answer, like by the time it is dark, Karen and Mike decide to go ahead and file a missing persons report with the Orange County Sheriff. Orange County Sheriff asks AT&T to do what's called an emergency ping. Have you heard of this? I have. Ping thing. Yes. Okay. This is where they can use cell phone information to basically look at, you know, ping different cell phone towers and kind of triangulate. Yes. Figure out where a cell phone signal is coming from. So they're able to access his phone. They ping his phone. Orange County Sheriff calls Mike and Karen. And they're like, okay, well, the good news is we found where Bryce is or where his phone is anyway. He is in a town in California called Buttonwillow. Still there. Still there. Nine hours later. It's just like, how? How? What is happening here? Seriously, for nine hours, he's been sitting there. So this time, instead of Christian going out there, actual sheriff deputies go out to check on him. They find him actually parked near the freeway, eight miles away from the rest stop. So he had driven a little bit. Right. He'd driven eight miles south. Yeah. In several hours, he drove eight miles. He drove eight miles. And he's just parked on the side of the freeway. So. I'm just wondering. We're wondering a lot of things right now. Yeah, we're all wondering a lot of things right now, right? Yes, yes. So the deputies go up to him and they're like, hey, my man, Bryce. What you doing, the window. <laughs> yeah. What you doing, my man? What are you doing? And just sitting here on the side of the road. And Bryce is like, um, I'm just blowing off some steam. So the deputies are like, okay, well, your mom's soups worried about you. They give Bryce a full sobriety test. He passes with flying colors, totally clean. They're like, can we search your car? He's like, sure, that's fine. Search my car. No drugs, no paraphernalia, no alcohol bottles, nothing. He's totally calm and talkative with them. It all seems well. He's just sitting there. So the deputies are like, Bryce, you need to call your mom. And he's like, "Mm, I'll pass. I'm not going to do that. And they're like, well, we really think you should call your mom. So they actually get his phone and dial for him to call Karen. They assure Karen that he is sober and fine. So they put him on the phone and she's like, Bryce, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm just putting my stuff back in my car. He answers her literally. Yeah. Literally. Because they had taken everything out to search his car. He's like, just put my stuff back in my car. Now, Emily, I'm just going to ask you at this point, at what point as a parent or a concerned adult in Bryce's life, are you like, you know what? Stay put. I'm coming to get you. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, I would have said, don't go anywhere. Like, I don't know what's going on. We can figure this out. You stay where you are and I am coming to you. I don't care what it takes. I'm on my way. Especially right now, there are sheriff's deputies right there. You're not that far away, two or three hours. Be like, can you take him to a holding cell somewhere? He's not under arrest. He hasn't done anything wrong. But like as a personal welfare check on him, take him somewhere. I don't know what the legality of that would be, but I would be like, stay right there. I'm driving north. I'm getting in the car right now. Don't move. Well, what I would have said to the police officer, if I was the mom, I would have said, hey, his friend said he's taken drugs recently. So 
there's no telling. Like, I need you to keep him in your custody until I can get to him. That's what I would say. Yes, exactly. I have thought, okay, the biggest part of this case that I keep thinking about is what the parents were doing. Like, what right. is their deal? Right. So the deputies give him the all clear to drive. And again, Karen is like, just get home and we will talk through this. We will get everything sorted out. Well, earlier when they were looking for Bryce and making all those phone calls before they filed the missing persons report, they had called Christian back at the tire store. He missed the call. So around this time, he actually calls them back. And Karen's like, oh, thank you so much for calling back. We actually just talked to law enforcement. Bryce is still, you know, near Baton Willow. The deputies talked to him and he is going to head home. And Christian's like, I don't mind to go out and check. And they're like, no, 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 that's okay. That's fine. We're sure he's headed home. Well, 15 minutes after that phone call, Christian calls Karen back and says, hey, I just drove out on the highway to check. And yeah, Bryce is still sitting on the side of the road in his car. Okay. So Christian at this point is like, hey, my dude, I'll follow you. You go ahead and get on the freeway. I'll drive behind you. Let's get you going. Your parents are super worried about you. I'll just follow you. So they do that. Bryce gets on the freeway. Christian follows him. Christian follows him for about 10 miles and is like, okay, seems like he's headed home. Like what else could he do? So Christian turns around and goes back home at that point. Christian's driving. He's talking with his parents a couple of times through the night. He tells his parents, because this was about midnight when Christian left him. Bryce says, my GPS tells me that I'll be at your house at like 3.30, 3.25, So. They keep calling him back just to make sure he's still driving. And they're like, Bryce, what exit are you at? What landmarks are you seeing? Tell us what you're seeing. He keeps telling his parents, it's too dark. I can't see anything. Now he's on the interstate, okay? It's lit up. It's not like he's on some backcountry road. Yeah. And there's mile markers at every mile. I mean, at least, yes. you know, over here there are. Right. So he keeps telling his parents, the GPS says I'll be there at 3.30. The GPS says I'll be there at 3.30. But he won't tell them anything he's seeing out the window. Well, around 2.09, then he calls his parents and says, you know what? I'm so tired. I think I better just pull over and just try to sleep for a little bit. And they're like, okay, pull over and sleep. Maybe that is for the best, but you got to get up and get home in the morning. So that is the last conversation they have with Bryce. At eight o'clock the next morning at their house in Orange County, the doorbell rings. They were hoping that it was Bryce. In the in all of the confusion, like maybe I guess he had like lost his house key or something. They were like, okay, it's eight o'clock. He should be here. It's not. It is the California Highway Patrol. They ask Mike and Karen, do you own a 2003 Toyota Highlander? And they're like, yes, that is our son's vehicle. So they report that that Highlander was found on an access road that goes around Castaic Lake Recreation Area in California. And that it had been driven off onto an embankment, a 25-foot embankment, and it was turned over on its side. So where the, his vehicle was found is two hours north of his parents still. So he still had not made it very far south. In fact, the whole time when he was telling his parents he was driving and his GPS said 3.30, he was not driving right, right. on the interstate anymore, for sure. Because we know that at 2.16 a.m., a security camera that just kind of monitors license plates on this like access road that goes around the lake had caught his vehicle going by with his license plate at like 2.16. And he had just called his parents at 2.09 and said, I'm going to pull over and take a nap. That same security camera caught his car going by again at 4.30 in the morning. 
Now, when his vehicle was found, it was found, like I said, at the bottom of a 25-foot embankment on its side. The back window had been busted out. All of Bryce's personal belongings were in his car, like his laptop, his phone. There was a duffel bag that was outside of the car, and it was unzipped, and like his ID was on the ground. But I think his wallet was still in the vehicle. They looked at the accident site, and they noticed that the car, his vehicle, had actually been accelerating down this hill toward the embankment. Law enforcement starts to think, okay, it looks like maybe he was going to try to take his own life. So they think that he was going to try to drive off this cliff towards the, because where he was going down the embankment and speeding up, there was like an optical illusion where it looked like he would just drive off of a cliff, but it wasn't actually a cliff. It was an embankment, but then you'd like go down a little bit further down into the lake. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So they thought, well, if he was trying to take his own life, then maybe he just walked into the lake. So they immediately, that day, call out divers and dogs and all kinds of search and rescue to see if they can find Bryce or find his body. They don't find anything. So they go back to Kim and Sean, the people that were the closest to him. And they're like, we need to know some more details about what was going on with Bryce before all of this happened. Well, they report that he had been partying so hard drinking crazy amounts of liquor. Sean said he had been drinking like two fifths of liquor in one weekend by himself, which is an astonishing amount of liquor. Yeah. Especially when you're on, you're abusing prescription med, yeah, prescription medication. He had started giving away his belongings. He gave Sean his Xbox and also strangely a pair of diamond earrings that his mother had given to him, like they were like a family heirloom. Maybe she had given them to him for Kim or something. I don't know. Now, his parents insist, absolutely insist that he was not abusing any drugs, that he just drank as much as a normal college kid drinks. But Kim and Sean are like, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. He was going bonkers with the mm-hmm. drinking. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we had the camera on Lake Hughes Road that the security camera caught his license plate, 215 and 429. Now, nine days later, because they never do find any side of him in, inside the lake, and they do like all kinds of, not just sending divers down, but all kinds of like sonography to right. like, try to see if, you know, the dark parts of the lake or whatever. And this was in August in Southern California. So it's not like we're talking about a frozen lake here. Yeah, I mean, sure, sure. it's like, you know, a nice recreational lake or whatever. So nine days later, they bring in bloodhounds to see if they can track his scent. And one bloodhound tracks his scent from the crash site along a back road to a truck stop. And that's where the scent is gone. They bring in another bloodhound. That bloodhound follows the exact same path that the first one did. Wow. Which is from the crash site along a back road to a truck stop. And that is the last trace of Bryce Lapisa. Now, here's the twist. And I don't know if you know this part. This is deep dive Reddit theory, okay? Okay, okay. So again, most law enforcement believe that he decided he was done with his life and he just wanted to get away and that he got in a truck with a long haul trucker at that truck stop and either did start over or something bad happened to him. He got mixed up with the wrong crowd. His parents are convinced, especially his mother, is absolutely convinced that he is either dead or that he hit his head when the car crashed. And that he has amnesia and he does not know who he is. Yes, I have heard that theory. So that's a possibility. Now, 
they did find a little bit of blood inside his vehicle, but most reports say that was not enough blood to think that he had a significant head injury. Right. Like maybe a cut on his head or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially since he had to bust out the back window to get out of the vehicle. Right. Here's the Reddit twist at the end. I was doing some research on this. Now, this is all internet reporting. This has not been verified. This is all alleged. Okay. Make that super clear. Anybody can say anything on the internet. In a thread on Reddit about Rice's story, a person says that he is close friends with the Lapisa family and that Karen is a psychopath and a narcissist. Yeah. Oh, I did not know this. Yes. And that Mike was emotionally abusive, that they were super, super controlling to Bryce. And that because Karen is a narcissist, she was always trying to make everything look perfect. She did not want anything to mess up her reputation. She wanted everyone to think they were the perfect, happy family. This person also said that Bryce not only was doing Vyvanse and drinking in college, but then in high school, he had been drinking, you know, he drank and experimented with drugs in high school as well. So this substance abuse thing was not new to Bryce is what this person was saying. But his big theory is this person that knows the family really well is that Bryce got fed up and that when he said, there's some stuff I need to talk to you about, that he was going to maybe confront his mom and be like, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You're going to try to cut himself off from them. And so I'm thinking maybe those hours and hours and hours he spent that day, he was maybe deliberating, what am I going to do? Am I going to try to confront my parents? Am I going to run away? Am I going to end my life? And was just like trying to process and deliberate. Now, again, he's also been abusing drugs and drinking. And so he's clearly not the right mind frame to be making like a huge life decision. A lot of people have conjectured that if that is true, and again, it's totally alleged, totally alleged. We have nothing to verify except a thing a person said on the internet. But if that was true, that maybe Bryce actually really did walk away from his life and is living in either some kind of like homeless, homeless community, homeless situation, either in Los Angeles, where there's a pretty big, there's a, yeah, there's a huge community of homeless people in Los Angeles. Yeah. He also, he had friends back in Chicago, but some people think he wouldn't have gone back there because people would recognize him. Like, I mean, Chicago is a huge city, but Bryce is a very distinctive looking person. He has a ton of bright red hair. He also had friends further up the coast in the Pacific Northwest, like in Seattle. So some people think maybe he like hitched a ride up there and has just been living off grid all of these years. Well, in Seattle also, you can totally live as a homeless person in Seattle because they're like LA and Seattle are like, you know, like you said, really big homeless populations. That's the case of Bryce Lapisa. I told you, once I found out about this case, I have been reading and listening to so many things, to so many things about it because I don't understand the parents. I know. I don't either. As I'm thinking back, if that person on Reddit is right, if Karen has some major personality disorder stuff going on, I can see her not wanting people to think there is anything wrong. I just, I cannot in my right mind think of how as a parent, you're not just like, stop everything. Yes. I will be there. Yes, Let's absolutely. meet right here. Don't go anywhere. I will be there. Yeah, exactly. And I, I would speed the whole way. <laughs> yes, exactly. I would be calling law enforcement in different towns along the way to see, you know, like I would be intervening 
until I could get right back to that kid and get them home and whatever is going on, take care of them. And so I don't know. I mean, of course, it's just conjecture. It's just internet theory. It's all alleged. But it is a good theory, though. It is. Okay, you guys. So these were our somethings bads that happened. Yes. (laughs) Emily and I always love to talk true crime. So if you want to find Emily, share your theories about Brianna or Bryce or anything that we've covered or maybe cases that we've never heard of. You want to tell us about Emily, where can we find you all around the web? You can find me on Instagram at Emily34331. And then I'm also active in the Sorta Awesome Hangout group on Facebook. Okay, perfect. You can find me on social media at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. And you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. You guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. 